You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Search Engine Land editor Danny Sullivan goes on the record online. If there's a popular topic or somebody's searching for something that's in the news, you know, the press release gives you, you know, a way to get that content into the, uh, into the search results right away. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Danny Sullivan. He's the editor-in-chief of Search Engine Land. Last year, we did an interview with Russell Wright uh, with an organization called ThemeZoom, and the subject also was search engine optimization, and it was one of the most downloaded shows of the year. Uh, So we're happy to be coming back to the subject of search engine optimization for this episode, and uh, I had a chance to speak with uh, Danny Sullivan via Skype. He's based in Newport Beach, California. Um, as I said, he edits this site, Search Engine Land, which is a popular uh, site that tracks developments in search and other areas of um, uh, the Internet. And uh, we had a chance to talk about all aspects of search engine optimization. We talked about press release search engine optimization. We talked about inbound links. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, it runs about 30 minutes, and we are going to play it for you in its entirety after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. This week, we're talking about SEO, a.k.a. Search Engine Optimization. Using iPressroom's media platform, non-technical communications pros can easily search-optimize their press releases and other content to increase the visibility and relevancy in search iPressroom provides a press release SEO wizard as a part of every Pressroom package, and this includes a step-by-step online tool for optimizing your releases for better visibility in search. Once optimized, you can upload your release directly to your online Pressroom and to the wire service of your choice. Adding trackable hyperlinks in your release enables you to drive traffic to specific web pages on your client's website or your corporate site and track those conversions. To learn more, See us in action. Feel free to send email to info at iPressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Danny Sullivan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So first of all, tell us about Search Engine Land. Uh, we're sort of a clearinghouse for all information about search engines and search engine marketing. So we uh, cover breaking news about new products and features that are out there, developments that are going on in the business space as well, lots of how-to information to try to help people understand how to do search marketing both on the SEO, the unpaid side of things, as well as the paid search side of things. So the evolving stereotype in the mainstream media is that, uh, you know, the bloggers are dorks. I mean, we're seeing on Saturday Night Live, you know, the blogger is the nose picker. I saw State of Play with Russell Crowe last night and Rachel McAdams. She's sort of the goofy blogger that comes under the wing of Russell Crowe to to solve the mystery. Uh, But you have a traditional media background, right? Yeah, um... I was a, a journalist. I used to work for the Orange County Register and Los Angeles Times. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Back in '95, uh, I went off into web development. 
uh, had seen the web and wanted to get involved with it. I uh, did that for about a year and a half, and uh, we were getting was getting questions from our clients about how search engines operated. And so I started publishing information on how to work. Uh, I was also doing some freelance articles for a couple magazines, but they tended to want to have an article once per year on search engines, so I thought they were more important than that. And it turned into a website that I produced and ran and eventually sold and left and started up a whole new website called Search Engine Land uh, that's been continuing on the work that I've been doing since, gosh, about 13 years now. So I, I teach a course for the Public Relations Society of America called the New Media PR Boot Camp, and we do a one-hour section on SEO. And uh, one of the things I usually say is that, uh, you know, the Google algorithm is the Coca-Cola formula of the modern ages. Um, you know, we, we don't really know anything for sure, but, you know, with a guy like you who's, you know, really focused on this, I mean, do you feel like you know anything for sure about the Google algorithm? Sure. I know lots of things. <laughs> and it's not even so much the, the Google algorithm per se, but just how the major search engines, including Yahoo and Microsoft, work as well. There are some key factors that all of them use and all of them consider to be very important. HTML title tags have been one that's been going on since I first started covering this, that if you're trying to be found for a particular word or phrase, using that phrase in the HTML title tag of your web page is one of the most important things that you can be doing. It's not a guarantee, and no one particular factor is a guarantee to success, but they tend to act. And so that's a, a really important thing. Um, making use of the words on the page itself. It's very common where people, especially in marketing grounds, may... Um, Use euphemisms. You know, you're trying to sell running shoes, so you talk about lightweight footwear. Well, people weren't searching for lightweight footwear. They were searching for running shoes, and you didn't actually use those words on the page, so it made it difficult for the search engine to know that the page was relevant for that. So those kinds of factors, that those are important things, making sure that the pages can actually be in the search engine. Sometimes people put up content, and they, they block them from the search engine, so they can't even get to it. They don't even know that, that that's happened. Um, common problem is, you know, people make use of things like Flash, which the search engines really still don't quite get. They want HTML text. And then, beyond, of course, there's the whole sort of linking ecosystem, the, the fact that if people are linking over to you, um, these are factors that are outside your control to some degree, uh, but they have an influence as to how well you will rank. So nobody can guarantee that, yes, I know all the, the formula, the secret parts of the formula that will make you rank well. But there are lots and lots of competent people who can go through and say, well, I'm going to do a review, I'm going to do a site audit, and these are a bunch of things that you should improve. And quite often if you do it, you see improvements. You, you can see a rise in the traffic. Is it possible, I mean, could, could you sort of go through these different factors and rate them in importance? Uh, more than anything else would be the link portion of it. If you've got the good links that are coming along, that's uh, really if you've got the good links that are um, coming into you, that can trump everything else. I mean, there are pages that Google cannot even index that because the links happen and they come at them, um, you're able to, um, you, you know, they, they can still get listed and they can still rank well. And then you've got um, factors like, I would say probably after that, things like the HTML title tag. Um, it, it's very common. I was looking at the Pinkbury site, for example, recently. And over at Pinkbury, uh, if, you, if anybody can try this if they want, you do a, a search called site colon, put it all together, S-I-T-E and the colon, and right after that, pinkbury.com. 
And when you do that search, you'll see that every page in that website has the same title, and the title is the word Pinkberry. And it's the equivalent of publishing, say, a hundred different books on completely different topics, but giving them all the same uh, title. It's a, it's sort of a wasted opportunity. You're not really being descriptive about what what could be done to improve things. So if you do that, um, if you were to simply change the titles, you may improve the chances of doing well. And interestingly, when you do a search for, say, yogurt, um, I noticed that Pinkberry, they don't come up in the top results, like on the first page, they come up on the second page results. And, and when they come up, they come up as Pinkberry. Well, if they had just called their homepage Pinkberry Yogurt, that extra little bit might have been enough for them to uh, to get onto the first page of results and dramatically improve the, the visibility that they were having. Let's talk about tools for a minute. Um, what's your favorite tool for uh, measuring inbounds? Uh, inbound links that are coming in? Yes. Um, Usually, I will still start off by doing a link colon command on Google to see just what's coming into a site. If it's not my own site, and I want to understand how people are going at it. That that command is not very good because it doesn't show all the links that are out there. Uh, but it gives you some sense of what Google thinks important. I especially like uh, Yahoo Site Explorer because it gives you a very good comprehensive review of a lot of the links that are there. And there seems to be a feel that they rank the links in, in the importance that Yahoo considers them to be. Um, if you're really into it, uh, a company called SEO Moz uh, has a tool that they put out there called Linkscape where they try to, to reverse show you all the links that are there as well. Um, and then, of course, Google has wonderful tools where they'll simply tell you the people who are linking over to you. Uh, not only will they tell you the people who are linking, but they'll even tell you things like, these are people linking to pages that you no longer have, so maybe you should go through and fix those pages and, and make use of the traffic that you're probably getting. But I think the important thing when it comes to links, and especially when people are trying to... Um, to uh, when they're trying to understand linking and what's going on, it's it's to me more important that you're thinking about the context that you're looking at. It's just not like get a bunch of links. So when I talk to people about how do you build links, I tend to be very old school and I say, well, what, what terms are you trying to be found for? If you're trying to be found for yogurt, then rather than doing a backlink analysis lookup of somebody who's showing up for yogurt where you may or may not know which links are actually important, you do a search for the word yogurt. You look at the people who are showing up in the top results for yogurt and you know explicitly that Google thinks these sites are relevant for that term. And you also know that people are going to be clicking from those search results to those other websites. And those are the websites where you want to get the links from. Because traffic is going to come to them directly from Google, and Google's already suggesting that they have an authority that perhaps can be passed on to you. Um, I'd say one other thing, too, is another way that I tend to look at inbound links is, of course, through my uh, analytics. You know, so you're using Google Analytics or some other measuring tools to go out there and see which links are coming at you and are actually sending you traffic outside of just the SEO uh, purposes. So when you um, t talk to uh, people about you know, developing a strategy for building inbound links, um, is, is that always going to be just basically a content strategy? Well, there's a variety of um, strategies that you can do. Um, it certainly helps if you've got great content. Um, and in fact, we've had this trend over the past two, almost three years now, of the link baiting strategy, which is you've got this compelling content, you've got this style of the, the top ten, you know, if it were a magazine, it would have been like, you know, top ten dieting tips or top ten celebrity homes. But on the web, they tend to be, you know, top nine ways to pimp the HTML of your website or 
top eight ways people have done some other type of thing. But, you know, you, you get these stories that kind of catch somebody's attention. A lot of people will then try to link over to them. They may find them through a, a service like Dig. Uh, it gets some wider popularity, and, and you just get a bunch of links that start flowing in with it after that. Um, one of the things uh, um, mo- most people believe is that some inbound links, obviously, are, are, are more influential than others. And it's not just uh, the number of inbound links to the sites that are providing those links, but also the domain, whether it's a .com or a uh, .edu or a .gov. Um, uh, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not that all links are created equal. Um, again, you've got two key things that Google is going to be looking at, the, um, the context of the link and the quality of the link. And by context, it's what are the words that are actually being said in the link or, or around the link. So if you are, you know, if you do a search for, say, uh, books, Amazon tends to rank really well, right? Lots of people link over to them and say, this is a great place for books. And, and the link may actually have the word books in it. Uh, if you do a search for cars, you don't get Amazon number one because nobody is linking to them and explicitly saying this is a great place for cars. So number of links is, isn't what trumps everything. It's you know, this combination of the context of the words that are in the links themselves. Now, after that... I mean, you mean the, the anchor text? The anchor text, exactly. The, you know, the whatever text you see in, in the actual hyperlink. Now, after that, Google is deciding whether or not it's going to trust certain websites more than others. Um, you know, we, you know and, and those sites have the ability to pass along more uh, credibility to the sites that they link to. It's sort of the equivalent of, well, if you went into a room and you had a medical problem and there were 500 people there and you said, you know, I'm looking for, uh, I need a doctor, <laughs> I need help, and, you know, suddenly all the people started pointing over to one person that person's authority would be enhanced by the fact that everybody is pointing at them. So Google can kind of calculate across the web which websites have more authority based on the links that are pointing at them. And that is very much where you get into the secret formula of, well, maybe they're going to weight the .gov sites a little bit more because they give them a little bit more trust. The .org sites, maybe, maybe some degree, maybe .com, not so much. But it's certainly not a case where you can think, ah, I suddenly got a link off of a .edu website, therefore I'm golden. Um, you know, there are other factors that can come into play. You can have websites that are going to get banned even in a .edu or not allowed to pass along link credit uh, if Google thinks that they're being abusive in some ways. We're talking to Danny Sullivan. He runs a site called Search Engine Land. Um, little story for you on that. I was actually working with a uh, Silicon Valley uh, CEO on PR, and uh, his name will remain uh, nameless for this interview, but uh, if I did tell you who he was, you'd know him. He's fairly well known. He's a bit of a media darling, and um, he had been quiet for two or three years. He was in, um, uh, he what do they call it when you're in quiet mode, um, stealth mode, on, All right. on a new project that he was going to roll out, and, uh, and when I met with him, he was really upset because when you Googled his name, there was a story in Business Week that came out that, that was the first result, and he didn't think it was a fair story. And there was plenty of other positive press, but for some reason, that story was the one that came up to the top. When uh, we uh, announced the news of his new company, uh, on the same day, we got uh, the front page below the fold of Marketplace, uh, Wall Street Journal, we got um, the front page of the business section, big story by John Markoff of the New York Times. 
Uh, we got uh, the uh, San Jose uh, Merck and the um, San Francisco Cron. So these are like two, you know, direct competitors. They all break this thing on the same day. Uh, Reuters does it. Uh, Howard Reporter does it. And then, you know, there's a feeding frenzy from there. And uh, we searched his name after that. And sure enough, that pesky Business Week story was gone. And uh, everyone was thrilled until we searched his name six months later. And sure enough, that <laughs> Business Week story came back up at the top again. So, yeah. you know, we looked at the inbound links and we actually traced it back to a um, the syllabus, uh, the recommended reading for a class at Stanford.edu. And it was, uh, you know, not a especially important page on the Stanford.edu website, but it was on the Stanford.edu website. It was an inbound link from his name to the uh, Business Week story. Um, so he actually called the professor of the class and he said, look, you know, I don't think this is a fair story. Here's why. Uh, here's, you know, the other stories that are out there, too. And they did, in fact, remove the link. Um, and it vanished. So, I mean, one inbound link from Stanford.edu, unseated links from nytimes.com, wsj.com, uh, sjmerk.com, sfcron.com, and many more. Well, that's, I mean, so you've got both a powerful link, but you also have other things that can come into play, too. Google has a uh, system that they call Query Desert Freshness. So when you do a search for something that's in the news, they try to get news content to start showing up rather quickly within a, uh, you know within a very short period of time and i'm not just talking about how they'll have a little news box but they'll actually try to have the news stories as part of the regular results that are showing up there and then it's pretty common that what you'll see is after a week or two or three the news content goes away and it's like normal content that starts showing up there because now google wants to shift that query over to not being so reflective of the immediate breaking news but what are the stories that have stuck more Right? You can imagine any kind of news event that, you know, eventually you want to have the most important, you know, few things that are out there. And so when you have the link coming in from Stanford, it certainly could be that, wow, you know, it's a Stanford link and it's very powerful, especially because um, Stanford was sort of one of the seed domains that Google used to use when they would try to calculate how the page rank would flow all over the place. Uh, because they came out of Stanford. So, um, it, you know, it could very well be, wow, it's just a powerful link, and that one link was enough to kick it over. But it could also be that it was that you had a link coming in from a non-news source, right, and that Google is able to understand that this isn't a news link. This is a sort of web link from an authority site. It could, you know, potentially you could have had a link um, from a, a, a .com site, but that was not related to news. And Google's system might have looked at it and said, "Oh, great! Well, I'm trying to do rankings for this person's name. It's no longer a fresh news type of thing. Uh, so I'm going to now look for you know authority articles on this that aren't necessarily just coming off all the news sites." And that could kick, kick you as well. That's an interesting so. idea. That's an interesting. Let, let's talk for a minute about the difference between news search and web search. Um, because, you know, a lot, a lot of the listeners I mentioned to you of this podcast are in public relations. And uh, uh, when you put out a press release over a news wire, that will wind up, in, in many cases, depending on the wire you use, in, uh, you know, getting, getting aggregated by, uh, and indexed by Google News. Would you, I mean, would you say that, um, uh, that Google is indexing news quicker than regular web content? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they get news content sometimes within minutes after it appears. 
Um, they have a dedicated uh, news crawler system that's that's designed specifically to do that, and that that's what also then eject, injects that content into the regular search results when they get it. They're they're incredibly fast on a lot of news content. So, what opportunities does that provide? Would you say to you know companies that want to get news and information about their products, brands, or services out there? Well. You know, the the press release can give you the opportunity to um, the press release can give you a variety of opportunities. A lot of people are using them because they are a way for them to um, uh, they are a way for them to generate their own links, right? If you put your, a link to your own website in a press release, you distribute the press release across the web, and now you've gotten yourself some nice links all over the place. So some people you know, use them in that but way. But I'm told that unless the release is distributing the news um, in a certain format, those links are often going to get stripped out. Well, I don't know that, that it's that the links are going to get stripped out because it's not in a certain format. I think it's simply that Google's also savvy enough to realize, hey, I've just seen this particular press release show up in eight different places. It's loaded with hyperlinks, and um, I, I recognize this style and this kind of tactic, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, you know, I'm going to discount those links anyway. But what I was saying, I, I wasn't actually personally saying this is what I think people should do. It's just one of the ways people have used the press releases when they've kind of put them out. Um, they certainly can get you links that maybe aren't going to give you search engine credit, but are going to give you links because they'll show up in, in a variety of places. But, you know, I think the better reason why you may be using the press releases is simply because if there's a popular topic or somebody's searching for something that's in the news, you know, the press release gives you, you know, a way to get that content into the, uh, into the search results right away, right into the news things. Um, if Apple puts out, um, if Apple puts out a, um, you know, a new product and they don't put out a press release on the product, then they really have no opportunity to be speaking in the same search results uh, where news is being reported, as well as um, as well as um, the people who uh, are write the news articles about it. Hey, let's squeeze in another tool here. What's your favorite sure. tool for benchmarking site rank? I'm sorry, another tool for benchmarking site rank. I don't really do it. <laughs> Uh, you mean like in terms of the ranking of where you stand in the in the individual search results? Yes. Like, am I ranked number two or number three? Correct. Uh, I haven't used tools like that regularly for some time um, because they don't really—they're um, not that useful. I mean, people get fixated on site rankings, and they don't even sometimes even know if people are searching for those words to begin with. So you're thinking, "Well, I need to be number one for." you know, discount tires, and it turns out that everybody's looking for retread tires. You didn't, but you didn't know that you got too fixated on this other thing. Or the people who are searching for discount tires don't actually convert that well for your website. So what I really advise people to do is to, to look at their analytics. Um, your analytics will tell you the exact words people use to reach your website. Um, Google even made a change recently where the analytics are, should be able to, in the near future, tell you exactly where you ranked on the results for a particular word. And then, as you're looking at that, you have a better sense of which terms are actually doing well for you or not doing well for you, and which gaps perhaps you do want to go after. Because you can look at it and think, well, you know, this is an important word for us, so let's go through and make some changes and see if that, that shows up or that makes a difference to us. And then you can, you know, perhaps pick up that way. 
Um, there are uh, some folks out there looking at tools like uh, the external keywords tool or just you know the AdWords tool as an indicator of clusters and themes um, because if you use the um, uh, you can put in a site there and then it will analyze the site and actually deliver the recommendations in clusters do you think those clusters are indicative of the types of words that would, would figure into you know this notion of latent semantic indexing you know um, so uh, there was a big buzz about about LSI, latent semantic indexing, and it was one of the flavors of the week that everybody was so excited about because I think people are always desperate to try to find the next big thing that Google's doing. Um, I think Google is doing, you know, an analysis of... Uh, I think Google is doing an analysis of web page content to try to understand the various words that it could be related to. There's some indication that after a long time now, uh, that they actually are trying to understand if a particular website may be relevant to a particular topic. So that if you're publishing content and Google understands that you publish a lot of content on a particular subject, then maybe your site will do well for that, to whereas you won't be allowed to rank just for any other kind of word. Um, so I guess you can look at that, but most of those tools when I've tended to look at them where Google is trying to tell you what they think they're relevant for hasn't been that it's trying to tell you that they're relevant for uh, a lot of times they just look at the words on the page itself, right? They're not actually going through and using the same kind of analysis that they may be using for the, uh, the, the web page ranking tools. So I mentioned to you I saw a state of play last night with, uh, with Russell Crowe and, and Rachel McAdams. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's average. It was a, I enjoyed myself. Uh, we, my wife and I saw the movie. We had a good time. Um, but uh, uh, it's about investigative reporting. And there's, you know, a group of people, an army of people uh, at this uh, Washington Globe is the name of the paper in, in D.C. And they crack this story about, um, well, I, I won't spoil it for those of you who want to see it. <clears throat> and, um, you know, obviously the solvency of those types of institutions is at stake um, right now. And, you know, you sort of come from a conventional journalism background, and now you're doing uh, the online thing as um, the editor of uh, Search Engine Land. I mean, are you worried? I mean, are you concerned about, you know, potentially the loss of investigative journalism? Oh, yeah, I am very much so. Um, but my worry is, and, and part of like I've been writing these rants, I suppose, my worry is that the, the newspaper industry is wasting way too much time uh, looking for a scapegoat for their financial problems, in particular Google, rather than just getting to grips with figuring out a better way of going forward. Um, I honestly would love to actually have somebody do a nice analysis of why the newspapers are doing so badly, because you have different things in different places. The Los Angeles Times, I think, is actually still fairly profitable, but it's burdened down by you know these billions of debts that that Zell's run out for the other things that he was doing. That these, you know, the, the newspaper. Same thing with the New York Times. You know, they have other business operations that are are making them sluggish. In addition to the fact that print had been declining, so you know, I they need to figure out a better model to be going forward. I do think there's a place for investigative journalism. One of the things I've been trying to uh, write about a bit more is the fact that I think that at least online rather than it having to be a labor of love that one person does, I think you have a tendency more where everybody actually collectively works together on stuff. Um, one example, I mean, this isn't hard-hitting investigative journalism, but when Dig rolled out their, their new Dig bar, 
um, there were a lot of people who really didn't like it. And I wrote about it, and then someone else picked up another angle on it, and then another person picked up a further angle on it, and then I came back and picked up with it from there. And eventually they made some changes that had come off of all this coverage. But sort of collectively, this picture had been painted about why this tool was not very good and the objections people had to it. And, you know, and people would talk with different things. I was talking with Dig, and other people were talking with Google. And, you know, you kind of had that, like I said, collective picture that came together. And the newspapers, you know, tended to be competitive and, you know, you know, the LA Times would never call the Orange County Register and say, hey, let's get together on a story because that would be for the better common good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the newspapers, they compete. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that there's a model out there that will happen. I think that good investigative reporters aren't going to suddenly go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to just go away. I think that they're going to find that perhaps they will do the same kind of investigative pieces that they can do and they, they may turn things into books. Uh, they may start running their own blogs. Maybe they'll start getting together in their own kinds of networks. Um, I don't know what's going to emerge. I just, I don't think it's the death of journalism. I think it may be the death of bad newspaper business models. Uh, we've been talking to Danny Sullivan. He is the editor of Search Engine Land. Uh, final question, and then I'll let you uh, get about your business, Danny. Um, you know, the, there's for so much of the web right now, there's there's one game in town, and that game is Google. Um, are you worried that maybe one company is becoming, you know, a single point of failure for too many web activities? Well, with web search, if Google suddenly disappeared, we've got Yahoo and Microsoft, and in fact, they they and they tried to make a big to-do about this, but they did go down for that period about uh, three or four weeks ago where they flagged every site in their index as malware, and suddenly nobody could get to anything, and Yahoo saw a spike in traffic. So it's not like they're the only way that we can find stuff. Um, they do hold a lot of information that people have in terms of them wanting to do um, you know, their email um, or that they're doing their analytics. Um, certainly, if they went down as a company, you'd find people who'd be sort of struggling in the near term to think, well, how do I replace my uh, analytics tool? Um, how do I go through and uh, perhaps manage my feed? Fortunately, there are competitors that are out there. Um, I suppose the downside is you might have to start paying for more of this stuff, but perhaps that's some of the upside as well for some of these companies. So I, I guess I don't feel like the entire web would come to a halt if Google failed. Uh, but it certainly would be more convenient for a lot of people. And I think there is some, you know, just natural sense of worries that you have that do they have too much stuff consolidated in one place. For me, that worry tends to be that when you start talking about trying to compete in web search, Google has a picture of the Internet unlike what anybody else can really put together easily outside of an ISP. They know where lots of people go. They know where lots of people are converting through analytics. They know where lots of people or what they're taking in terms of their AdSense data. Um, they get a lot of signals about what's good and bad on the web, and that helps them if they want to tap into these signals to improve their web searching results. You know, Microsoft could, couldn't match that. Not right now. They don't have anywhere near that kind of uh, look across the web. And so it, it may be, if you watch all these noises about, oh, we may have to have antitrust on Google for this or for that, um, I did a piece back at the end of 2007 where I was saying, you know, really, if you're looking at an antitrust issue, it's simply that, is it fair that a website that sends a lot of traffic 
to other websites is also uh, having those places carry their ads. They, you know, that, that it may be that that's too much of a monopoly, that that's too much of owning the stations and the tracks and the railroads and, you know, the people who are working on them as well, that you, you know, you, you can't have that much of a closed loop. So, um, those are the ten- things that tend to worry me with Google or things like, you know, we're going into an ad decline and yet they still don't tell you how much of the ad share they keep out of AdSense, you know, with these partners. You know, if you're a big partner, you'll get a better sense of it because they have to negotiate a deal with you. But all these little sites that are depending on Google's AdSense for their income, you know, it's basically Google saying, we're going to give you whatever we decide to give you. That just doesn't seem right. That's not how you should treat a partner. You should tell what, tell them exactly what they're going to get. You know, take your 15% cut if that's what you take, but we don't even know what they take. Danny Sullivan, Editor-in-Chief of Search Engine Land, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 